And hello, welcome to uh, the One of Life podcast. I'm Wes. Uh, today, or tonight, whenever this is, we're going to be um, looking at glorification. We've looked at um, justification. We looked at sanctification. Now we're going to be looking at glorification. This one's, a, uh, I suppose, easier, simpler, in that we don't really know what that necessarily means, what it means to be glorified, because we have not been um, all we can do is look to the things that it talks about in Scripture, and from there, um, try and define these things as best as possible. So, to be glorified is the final stage of our salvation. When Paul says things like, we're nearer to our salvation uh, than we were when we first believed, they're talking about the end, right? So, uh, glorification exists in two parts then it's a there's a soteriological aspect to it which is the end of our salvation and there's also an eschatological part to it because that's when christ returns when we see him we will be as he is according to first john 3 1 and 2 so it's sort of in between things it's like a transition phase we're leaving this body behind finally and we're going to be taking on um our new bodies and we're going to have new bodies that glorify who Christ is because of what he's done for us and give us an ability to be as the angels, as Christ says, um, and be able to be in the presence of God for eternity. So I'm going to start with how it's defined in um, in Hebrew. The, the first one is this word kabet. Now, I don't know if I can say these words right because I'm not good with speaking... Um, uh, you know, foreign languages, and so on. So in Haggai one eight, it says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And that word there is kabed, and it just means to be honored. I will be honored in what work you do for me. The other one, though, is different, um, and this is discussed in Isaiah 60, and uh, I think it's the word par. It might be wrong how to say it, but... It's got P's and two A's and an R in it. That's the sort of transliteration of it. Um, but in Isaiah 60, he says, Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of the Lord thy God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. That is, uh, God was glorifying people in that, what that word means is to endow with splendor. So God is actually doing something for us. So there's a way we glorify him in our praise and our honor of him and the works we do for him. And then there's a way that he glorifies us because of who he is by endowing us with his own righteousness. And uh, this is also referred to in verse 21 of the same chapter in Isaiah 60. It says, Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. So he tells us why he endows us with splendor, so he can endow himself also with splendor. And so God was going to do a work for us in order to change us from what we were. He was going to glorify us, and in glorifying us, it would glorify himself. So he's endowing us, so he's sort of um, dressing us with his splendor, with his glory. Now, the Greek word is easier known. The word for praise and honor and glorifying is the word doxa. That's where we get doxology from. It means to give praise, to give honor, to glorify. And we see that, I think, the best, um, the best, uh, I suppose, 
uh, example of this being said is Christ talking about being glorified with the Father when he's praying to the Father in John 17. So he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So Christ was saying that he had in fact praised and honored God the Father in the work that he was doing because he was doing the work of the Father. In verse 10 of the same chapter, he says, And all are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So he's glorified by the people that the Father has chosen and given to him, and all that are the fathers are the sons, and all that are the sons are the fathers. So there's two aspects in which the God the Father is glorified, one in which Jesus and the work that he did in living the sinless life and then ultimately going to the cross and then raising again glorifies God the Father, but also what um, those who he was given the apostles, and eventually then all of the rest of the church, we are then supposed to be glorifying God the Father due to the fact that Christ has given us access to the Father by giving us the Holy Spirit, by uh, dying and ra <clears throat> raising from the dead for us. So in that sense, we're being glorified. Now there's other, there's other words used. When we go to Second Thessalonians, I actually bookmarked this one, or I sort of did. All right, if we look at, 2 Thessalonians 10, it says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word Paul uses here is N doxazomai or something to that effect the fact the way that it's different is is that n is in the first that means that it is being glorified in or being glorified um by means of or in the time of and so it's a little bit different than the word john uses in his gospel and it just means um that christ will be glorified in his saints that uh, our glorification is also the glory of god himself so the new body that we're going to be receiving is some is it, the reason why we receive it is because Christ Himself has done the work for us, and the Holy Spirit is our our down payment working in us until until we get to that point. The third word used is the word syndox, um, which just means to be glorified with, and that is in Romans eight. I think this is the only time it's used. Paul again is the one who uses it. He said, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that you suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the things that Christ has, we also will have. And therefore, both Christ and ourselves will be glorified in that sense, in that we will be receiving the same sort of inheritance. And the reason why we're able to have that inheritance is because now we are placed in Christ, according to Ephesians 1. So that is uh, what it is to be glorified. Those are the definitions of being glorified in the Bible. It is to praise and honor. It is to endow with honor and splendor. Uh, and it is um, something that we've been set apart for because of our faith in Christ and the work that he's done for us. He himself is the first fruits of the dead. He received his glorified body first. And that's where... Um, the illustrations, the examples of what a glorified body is. We find them 
in Luke 9 at the Mount of Transfiguration. So we get to see Christ um, change in an instant. He's standing there, he's praying, and then all of a sudden he changes. It says, but I tell you the truth, there'll be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now this, this is, there's a lot of different um, interpretations to that verse. But I believe here the kingdom of God that he's talking about is the glorification of man. And when he says that some of them will be able to see it, he then takes uh, Peter, James, and John to the mount, and then he transfigures, and they see two other people with him. And I believe that is the vision of the kingdom of God that he was referring to. He was not saying the kingdom of God is going to come during the lifetime of some of the men there. Um, uh but I'm going to carry on with verse 28. We're in Luke 9. It says, And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James, and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. And that word is really departure, um, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So, we have three people glorified here. We have Jesus Christ who changes. His, while he's standing there, he changes. We have two other men that show up who also appear in glory. They are glorified. And this is where we get some of our eschatological ideas about the rapture and the final resurrection and so on and so forth. Moses is a picture, obviously, of someone who has died been resurrected and is now in a glorified body. Now, in the Bible, it doesn't say that he was resurrected. In the assumption of Moses, it is stated that he was resurrected. Some There are arguments about the credibility of that book or not, but some people say that Moses was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. Uh, I don't know about that because the, obviously the Bible doesn't say, but it appears that something like that did happen because here we find Moses in a glorified body standing with Christ. So, how could he have a glorified body if he was dead and his body was in the ground somewhere? He obviously um, was not because he was there on the mountain, uh, unless you believe that the whole thing was just some sort of um, uh, vision or apparition that, that uh, Peter, James, and John had. I don't believe it was. I believe they were looking at real men. I believe Christ's raiment really changed. And so we see Christ changing in an instant. We see... Moses, a dead man, standing there in a glorified body. And the second one, we see Elijah, who was taken up. He was not someone who died. He's a, he, someone who was raptured up. He was translated. And so he was taken up in a chariot of fire and was not seen again until this point. Uh, here he was seen in a glorified body. So do we see uh, the resurrected dead being glorified? And we see those who have faith in God uh, who did not die or see death, they were also um, glorified. And Peter Peter talks about this. I'm going to read from Second Peter. He makes another reference to this. In uh, Where are we going to start at? We'll start in Second uh, Peter 1. It says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, so he's comparing the vision that he had and the situation that he saw on the mountain to the second coming of Christ. He says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. 
this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is from the the, uh, uh, transfiguration here. I'll carry on with the rest of the transfiguration. It says, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So this is what Peter is talking about. This was obviously years later. Peter was testifying of what he saw, and he said, In this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. And we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So at the coming of Christ, this glory that was seen by Peter um, will be seen again. This will be the resurrection of the saints and the changing of the saints. And so when he says you'll see the kingdom of God, the glorification of man will occur when the kingdom of God is set is set here upon earth at the second coming of Christ. That's why I believe that's not, he wasn't saying that people will see the kingdom of God during their lifetimes. He was saying when he returns, they'll see men in glory as they were going to end up seeing on this mountain here. And so you ask them, well, what is a, a glorified body? What does that even mean? Uh, I can't necessarily say that. I know that Christ um, walked around on earth and he ate. I know that he went through buildings, uh, walked through doors and stuff. Um, I don't know what that necessarily means. He also had the scars still on him. Thomas touched those scars. Uh, you can read that in Luke 24 and read it in John 20 and 21. Um, so he did things in a glorified body. And um, I assume we'll also be able to do things. But Paul was dealing with this in Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, um, people were questioning whether or not there would be a resurrection. And uh, so he starts to um, explain why, why this was going to happen, why it was necessary that there's a resurrection, because if there's no resurrection, we're still in our sins. So the point of salvation is ultimately to change who we are. Death is inevitable. We have to, be, we have to die and we have to be judged because of our nature, our fallen nature. But... The point of salvation was ultimately to change us, to create this new man. Um, so he's the first fruits of the dead. He rose again for our sake. And it says, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? I'm reading 1 Corinthians 15, 35 and on. It says, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And now he starts comparing the resurrection to the way we do crops and things like that. It says, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest, not that body that shall be, but bears grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Uh, so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. 
the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. So it's necessary we die. Or it's necessary that Christ came and died himself and then rose from the dead for our, for our sake to be changed. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But I will show you a mystery. Which all of it is a mystery. I mean, what is he talking about? You know, he says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So, not everyone is going to die. There are going to be a point in time where even those who are still alive, who are in Christ, who are going to be changed. And I'll read from 1 Thessalonians 4 in a minute. It says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, the dead will rise from the dead. And then other people who are not dead will be changed. And this is also, you know, the point that we were talking about at the Mount of Transfiguration, what the kingdom of God is going to consist of. People who have died in Christ, who are raised from the dead, and people who didn't die but were taken up uh, to meet the Lord in the air are going to be changed. So there's a group that doesn't die in the sense of their, you know, their flesh wears out or is killed or anything. They're going to be changed into a glorified body. Other people will die. They will be risen from the dead. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is the, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is the ultimate destruction of death. It is the defeat of evil over our bodies. And so uh, it's, it's about eternal life, but it's about eternal life in a certain way. So we see even when Adam fell, God did not want him to eat from the tree of life. The reason he would want to eat from the tree of life is because God does not want us in this type of body, in this fallen state. He wants us to be renewed. He wants us to be a new person. So I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18. Paul says he gave us this scripture for the sake of our comfort. Uh, there were people who thought maybe the resurrection had already passed, and they were upset about this at this Thessalonian church. It says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, meaning dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So the dead that pass away we will see again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, which is what Paul stuck discusses in 1 Corinthians 15, we just read, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So those who are alive and remain, like Elijah, will be caught up. Those who are dead, like Moses, will be risen from the dead, and then they will, we will receive glorified bodies to be able to be with the Lord forever. So that is the ultimate part of glorification. We are being changed and altered 
And it's a great mystery still because um, what that necessarily entails, what that means, how much of us will be left in the new heaven and new earth. Um, you know, I've had arguments about this, about what we'll remember, what we won't remember. Um, it says that um, the good or the bad parts we, we won't remember. And there's a part in Isaiah that says we won't remember things. But then there's also the fact that Christ had his scars on him. So what will we remember about Christ, what he did for us, why we're where we're at, knowing that we're in Christ, obviously. Um, so there's all these um, wonderful mysteries that are ahead. But that is the, um, the end of our, of our time with salvation. We will ultimately be glorified. That is where we're trying to get to. That is the point. Um, that the Holy Spirit is trying to work into us until the day when the Lord returns. So um, we won't be immediately risen from the dead right when we die. Obviously, this won't happen until Christ decides to return or the Father tells him to return. So uh, when we pass away, it says that to be absent from the bodies, to be in the presence of the Lord. So that's where we'll be until that time, um, unless you don't die, and then you'll just be changed like that. But that is only for those who are in Christ. That is only for those who have faith in God and have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's the, <laughs> that's the end of that. Um, I, I actually really enjoy doing a lot of this stuff. Uh, but if you have questions or, or other things you want to say, uh, even remarks that you disagree with, uh, go ahead and let, put them down in the description. Uh, if you want to support, there's support buttons in the in the where the podcast is at Anchor and where uh, in the description of the video. Uh, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.